Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic D Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by coronatools.com, the nation's leader in garden and landscaping tools. Listeners of The Organic View can receive 20% off their coronatools.com purchase by using the coupon code ORGVIEW. That's O-R-G-V-I-E-W. For more promotional offers, please visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. And don't forget to check out our contest section. As the global population of honeybees and other pollinators continues to decline, industry continues to make every effort to distort the truth, conceal the evidence, and deceive the public. On today's show, Tom and I are going to talk about this very issue. So I'd like to welcome to the show my co-host, Colorado beekeeper, Mr. Tom Theobald. Hello, Tom. Hello, Joan, from sunny Colorado. We had a nice rain yesterday evening, which we uh, really appreciate out here, where we get so much sunshine. So uh, everything is greened up. Everything looks good. Well, here on the East Coast, we're experiencing some pretty cold weather for this time of the year. Usually it's hazy, hot, and humid, but with the rain, it'll be interesting to see how that impacts the summer crops as well as the fall crops. Recently, I interviewed Dr. Christine Bishop from Environment and Climate Change Canada about her latest research, which focuses on North American hummingbirds. What I thought to be most interesting was the fact that it shows that the pesticides are having an impact on their health, and they're finding evidence in the fecal matter. Now, when it comes to these pollinator corridors, this proves our point that with these plans to plant all these flowers, trees, and shrubs to attract pollinators, if the environment is poisoned, all it's going to do is kill the animals that are existing on these properties. Well, what what they have done, because of the other concerns with the neonicotinoids, they have for many years captured and banded the hummingbirds, and that's why they have the population statistics that they do. But apparently for a little hummingbird, being captured like that is somewhat stressful, and they relieve themselves. And what they've done is they've begun to analyze the urine and the feces from the hummingbirds that they're capturing and tagging. And they're finding neonicotinoids at fairly high levels. And it's of great concern because the hummingbird population has been declining. And just as we've seen with the insect world and the freshwater invertebrates, now we're seeing it progressing into the bird world. The hummingbirds exist in part on nectar and insects that may be poisoned with these pesticides. The reality is they are finding neonicotinoids at fairly high levels. What I'd like to also talk about, since we are on the subject, is the fact that this poses a severe threat to our drinking water supplies. When you have the widespread contamination caused by the use of so many different pesticides, it's bound to show up in the water. And in that interview, Dr. Bishop also talked about 
how pet parents, if you will, how people who have cats and dogs and are using pesticides in order to kill the fleas and ticks, this is coming out in their fecal matter and is in the water, and that affects our drinking water. So moving forward in, in the future, we're going to see a lot of different issues when it comes to the safety of our water, but also with our food. Well, th just this year, they also found in Iowa, in drinking water, this is drinking water that's gone through the whole purification process. They found three of the neonicotinoids, imidacloprid, clothianidin, and thiamethoxam. Now, admittedly, these were in very small amounts, but this is drinking water. We're finding these chemicals everywhere that we look for them. The EPA and the USDA have carefully avoided turning over that stone, but others have looked. And what we're finding is that this has been a pervasive, widespread poisoning of the environment. Tom, I know we've talked about this numerous times, but could you just go over the sublethal effects of neonicotinoids and why they do pose such a direct threat to our drinking water supplies? There's a lot of people that are tuning in, and every week I get these emails and comments, so on and so forth, from people that are frantic, that are like, you know, you guys have to do something. You know, we've got to stop the widespread use of these chemicals. It's good that people are starting to wake up, but this has been something that's been going on for quite some time. So could you just take a moment and go over the sublethal effects of neonicotinoids? Well, this is a very scary family of pesticides, as if the others aren't scary enough. They're water-soluble. They're thousands of times more toxic than anything that we've ever used before. They have half-lives of years. In other words, they last pretty much forever. And there's no safe dose because their effect on the nerve connections is cumulative and irreversible. And that presents a very interesting problem. Traditionally, we've looked at poisons and we've followed the principle that the dose makes the poison. And the argument is made that salt in sufficient quantity is a poison. Even water in sufficient quantity is a poison. And this is presumed to be a linear relationship between quantity and the effect of poisoning. These neonicotinoids follow a whole different principle, the time-dose relationship. And because they're cumulative and irreversible, a, a dose which is a fraction of the dose that would cause an acute kill. In other words, if you exposed an insect, in our case the honeybee, to a sufficient dose, it can kill them outright and almost immediately. On the other hand, because it's cumulative and irreversible, a small fraction of that acute dose administered over time, can produce the same endpoint, which is death. And there's a lot of talk about the sublethal effects. I would prefer to refer to them as the pre-lethal effects, because there is no safe dose of this family of chemicals. And the environment, based on all the evidence that we can see, has been massively poisoned 
poisoned with this family of chemicals. Tom, a couple of years back, there was an example of a tablespoon or a teaspoon of neonicotinoids, I think it was clothianidin, in an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Do you recall the analysis that was done? I can't remember if it was you or Graham White that did that. That was Graham that did that, and I read that just uh, earlier today, but I don't remember exactly what the relationship is. But a teaspoon in an Olympic-sized swimming pool would be equivalent to... 10 parts per billion or something like that, a very small amount. We're talking about very, very small amounts of these chemicals that can produce dramatic consequences. And at this point, neonicotinoids are the most widespread used pesticide, which subsequently is generating millions of dollars in revenue for the chemical companies. And they're not about to pull them off the shelves anytime too soon. But the bottom line is, regardless of how toxic they are, they are still applying them by the ton. We've used the comparison with DDT, and most people are familiar with DDT. For lower-level life forms, these chemicals are five to 10,000 times more toxic than DDT. So... If we use DDT as the reference point of one, what's being put onto the the earth, the, put into the environment every year, is the toxic equivalent of four to six hundred billion pounds of DDT. It's almost beyond comprehension, and it's no surprise that we're finding it everywhere we look. It's going only about two percent of this. this chemical when it's used as a seed coating, and that's its primary method of delivery, only about 2% actually goes into the plant. For some things like corn, about 2% is abraded and becomes fugitive dust, which can cause acute kills of bees and other insects. 95% of that seed coating goes into the soil and the groundwater. So we're talking about massive amounts of this highly toxic chemical that's going into the soil and the groundwater, and it's going in on top of the billions of to pounds of toxic equivalent that have been applied in previous years. This is, this is a disgrace. This is just an absolute disgrace what's been done. Well, Tom, it is a disgrace, and what's even more of a disgrace is the fact that so many of the documents that have this on record, exactly what's been going on, how much has been applied, so on and so forth, have been basically buried. And this is not something that's new. This is something that's been going on for many, many years. Which brings me to the next subject, which is in regards to Dr. Jonathan Latham and Carol Van Strom, who were interviewed about the poison papers. Yes, this is a very interesting development, and it just hit the news today in the form of a press release. And this is about 40 years of accumulated documents by Carol Van Strum, who moved to Oregon in 1974 and was concerned about the spraying of herbicides on the forest, the U.S. forests. And that began what a turned out to be a lifelong battle apparently and 
She's now 75, and the files that she has accumulated have been digitized, and they've been made, made available. They're called the Poison Papers, and there's something on the order of 20,000 of these, most acquired through Freedom of Information requests and, and things like that. They're available on the Internet at poisonpapers.org. And this is a direct parallel to what we've seen in the in the neonicotinoid issues. And I'd just like to read one paragraph quickly from their press release because it's it although they talk about dioxins, which were a major concern at the time these papers were accumulated, you can insert any number of chemical names and certainly neonicotinoids would fit in this paragraph. And here's what they had to say. Corporate concealment is not a new story. What is novel is the, in the poison papers is the abundant evidence that EPA and other regulators were often knowing participants or even primary instigators of these cover-ups. These regulators failed to inform the public of the hazards of dioxin and other chemicals, of evidence of fraudulent independent testing, and of widespread human exposure. The papers reveal in the often incriminating words of the participants themselves, an elaborate universe of deception and deceit surrounding many pesticides and synthetic chemicals. And we're seeing that today with the neonicotinoids. We're seeing that very same thing. It's time to end this. This is a tremendous disregard for their responsibilities under the law, if not outright conscious criminal conduct. But, Tom, this has been going on for decades. And that makes it even worse. They need to be called to account. What they've done is they've put the health of the environment and the American people at risk for profit. They are established to protect us against these very things that they are trying to cover up. But if you take a look at so many people that have come before these folks, you look at Alice Shabakoff, who wrote a book called Poison for Profit, where she meets with actual families and people who have suffered all sorts of different diseases and ailments because they were directly impacted by the illegal dumping of different chemicals and pesticides, so on and so forth. And she also explains in her book how difficult it is for these people just to exist. What's interesting is when you take a look at situations like this, a lot of people feel, well, you know, why don't they just move? It's not that simple. It's kind of like with fracking. If you look at Gasland, all the families that were in the movie, imagine buying a house and then due to fracking, your water is contaminated on your land. And then what? You can't sell your house. You can't do anything. And on top of that, you have to bring in drinking water well the question is where would you move to what this chemical madness has created is a superfund site and it's called the united states i agree these, these chemicals have been put on to the environment in massive amounts we're all a toxic waste site where would we move if we were to move where would we move that it's safe there is no place that, that's safe, even by me. You have 
Grumman, in conjunction with the Navy, all the chemicals that they dumped into the ground, this plume, which is often referred to as the Bethpage plume, it's migrating southwards, and it's about to hit Massapequa, which is on Long Island. So many people have suffered from all different sorts of ailments, different types of cancer, so on and so forth, and they still have yet to do something about it. And this has been going on for decades. And I know that there are a lot of concerned citizens that are trying to do something about this, but this should have been taken care of how many years ago? And only now they're starting to really make some progress. And this is just one example. How many other examples are there? Well, there are thousands, there are thousands of chemicals out there, and there are tens and perhaps hundreds of thousands of formulations. We're being drenched with these, and that's the reason we created the EPA, to speak on our behalf, to understand what the issues are. Their fundamental charter is to protect the environment and the American people from unreasonable risk. And rather than do that, rather than look for answers, they look for excuses to continue this poisoning. This needs to be addressed. They need to be called to account. Will the current administration do that? Doubtful. It's up to the public to demand change. Well, Tom, we didn't see anything from the last administration either. If you look at the, the last three memorandums that were issued by the White House in regards to pollinator protection, nothing was done. So I don't think it's a matter of a particular administration. It's a matter of when is somebody going to do something. The only elected official that I know of that has done something on a large scale has been Senator Raymond Lesniak from the state of New Jersey and also in New York, Senator Brad Hoylman. But aside from these two gentlemen, I don't know of anybody else that has really been aggressively trying to do something to bring about the changes that are needed. Sadly, they're all in bed together, and they're not going to do anything. We're under the misconception that the, the system basically works, and if we just bring these failings to their attention, they'll correct themselves. That's not going to happen. I believe more and more as time goes on and we learn more and more about the science and what's being done, that the only thing that's going to change this is public outrage. The people are going to have to demand that this not continue. Their lives, the lives of their children, their loved ones are being sacrificed for corporate profit. It's no more complicated than that. Well, really, it's a matter of how many people have to die before something happens. It happens at a local level when it comes to the installation of a traffic light, a stop sign, just basic things that we should already have. But now we're talking about the massive contamination of our planet and the number of people that are being impacted as far as their health. And it's sad, but this will continue. Well, we've been talking about this subject for, what, five years now, June? Seven years? S several years we've been talking about this. These chemicals have become even more entrenched than they were when we began. The recent court decision found that the EPA had systematically violated 
federal law in the registration of 59 different neonicotinoid products. Systematically violated federal law. This is about as close as the court can come to accusing the EPA of conscious criminal conduct over time with many, many products. Uh, this whole thing is a disgrace, and it's time that it be corrected. Well, Tom, we'll see as this whole thing unfolds. Thank you for taking the time to join me today. Well, thank you, June. You know, it's uh, important that we keep talking. Sometimes it seems that we're talking to ourselves, but I hope there are people out there listening, and I hope even more that there are people who will do the homework, who will dig in, who will read the science, who will become even more expert than we are. If you have any questions, please write to us at questions at theorganicview.com. Thank you for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon.